You may be seated. Welcome to all of you. My name is Dwight. I'm also on staff here at the church. And first, welcome to all of the college students. Uh, as uh, Luke often says, we are better when you are here. And uh, I've been looking forward to this uh, for a long time just to worship with all of you guys. It's been great. And shout out to the Ohio State men's golf team. I am a huge Ohio State Buckeye men's golf fan. Five members of the golf team were in the uh, qualified to play in the U.S. Amateur. And one of the players, Neil Shipley, is in the final today. I don't know if you watched yesterday. Uh, maybe uh, my wife kept leaving the room. It got very tense towards the end of the round. And she would leave the room. She couldn't watch. But I can assure you that she knew very quickly exactly what happened based on my reactions in the room. Uh, I saw a video of the uh, golf team when Neil came to the 17th hole and hit this amazing shot and everybody went crazy. That was sort of in the room, but I didn't have anybody to bump into because my wife was in the other room. Uh, and there was just too much tension. So uh, I'm looking forward to this afternoon, and I will be glued to my television and screaming as though Neil can actually hear me, uh, and uh, super exciting for that. Now, before I moved here a couple of years ago to be part of the church, I was uh, teaching in a university in Northeast Pennsylvania, and every week, I would have uh, a group of students that would uh, sometimes set up an appointment, sometimes they'd just stop in my, by my office and say, hey, could we chat for a little bit? And most of the time we had conversations, they were about uh, items, things other than academics. And one of the most common issues I heard from students was that they were discouraged because they were either not making progress in an area of their life that they really wanted to, or in fact, in, at least in their perspective, they were losing ground. And they had come to realize that uh, the need to change or maybe improve in an area of life, they, they saw it, they wanted it, they needed it, but they could not seem to make any progress. And sometimes they would be just extremely discouraged and be very emotional about how desperately they wanted to get better at something or to grow, and they just weren't making any progress. And I think we can all agree that a desire for the right kinds of behavior is not a guarantee that that behavior will be true in our lives. I think we can agree that some here might want desperately to get into better shape this year but that doesn't necessarily mean that you will or that you want to handle your money better. Or maybe uh, you want to read your Bible more. Or maybe you've said, you know, I'm so lazy and uh, unproductive in the morning, I want to become more disciplined in the morning, but you sit here having had those feelings and even maybe made some of those decisions in the past, but you sit here and think to yourself, but I'm not making any progress. 
And it begs the question as to what is missing in the lives of those students and some of us who are here today who just never seem to grow in areas they really want to. And I believe many people fail not because they do not want good things, but because they haven't taken the important step of saying, therefore, in order to have those good things take place in my life, I need to create a plan. A plan, a structure. I need to do this, I need to do that, so that I can see the growth happen. Now, I think that distinction is really important because I have seen and interacted with people throughout my life who kind of get to the point where they start to think to themselves, maybe, maybe I just don't want it bad enough. Or maybe I'm just somebody who's never, ever going to grow, never, ever going to have victory, so I sort of just give in. And the sad thing of that is that you do want good things, and the problem is that you've just not taken important steps to enable that to happen. And the truth is that all of us, without a plan, will all drift into unhealthy behaviors. All of us, a perfect example of that is that, uh, you know, you live uh, your life, let's say, in really detailed uh, and you got a ton of stuff to do and you have hardly any time, especially some of you students would understand this. And while you're in school, you're incredibly disciplined, and then you go home for Thanksgiving break, and what happens? It's like suddenly you have all the time in the world, and the things that you need to get done, you don't get done. Recently, the staff uh, went away for a couple of days together, and one of the things that I could tell you uh, I observed this because we had candy that was readily available to us. We also had vegetables, fruits and vegetables available to us. Guess which one we had to replenish? It wasn't the carrots. I maybe had a couple carrots just because I'm an old guy. And uh, so every once in a while I would do that. Or mornings. What do you think mornings are like? Well, we're like everybody else that if we don't have a plan, we're going to drift into sleeping in and be getting up in the morning and not being very productive because, again, all of us, without a plan, without some intentionality, will drift into unhealthy behaviors. Now, this summer we have been working through the book of Proverbs. And what we've been looking at this book is seeing that God is calling us and talking to us about certain uh, truths, certain realities, where he's inviting us into this flourishing life. And we've been talking about that where we want to, because we as a church desperately don't want to be a church that all we're accomplishing is people growing in the volume of knowledge that they have about the scriptures, or even come to the point where all that's happening is people are coming to write uh, conclusions about the scriptures, but that we're teaching in such a way that it's resulting in us actually becoming like Jesus. Because the more I become like Jesus, the more I can experience the flourishing life. Jesus said that, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. 
And everything we find in the scripture is, is God calling us into it. In fact, as I, I've thought about this, one of the things that is so striking to me is the guy who wrote the book of Proverbs is Solomon, who is known to be the wisest man that ever lived. And I think he recognized what I was talking about, and that is we all tend to drift into unhealthy behaviors. And really, Proverbs is a recognition of that because what it's saying is these are not behaviors, these are not habits that you're just going to naturally fall into. And if you don't naturally fall into them, then you're not going to make the kinds of choices that are healthy behaviors for you so that you're becoming more and more like Jesus and experiencing the abundant life that he has for us. And the reality is that the person who wrote this book, the wisest man who ever lived, found himself at times not having a plan and drifting into unhealthy behaviors. And I believe that's part of his design to communicate this because he learned both sides of that. He learned what life was like when I made conscious good decisions and I pursued and created a plan to make things happen and when I didn't. Now, if you have a copy of the Bible and you want to follow along with me or you just want to... Uh, uh, listen to me read. I'm going to start off in Proverbs chapter 21 this morning. Proverbs chapter 21. But before I read this verse, I want to make sure that we understand, because I think there's an important distinction about what I'm going to be talking about, and that is the difference between a plan and a goal. A plan and a goal. Here's what one, how one writer broke it down. He said, a goal broken down into steps becomes a plan. It's instructive to note that goals are different from desires. Well, a goal is a mere wish. A plan is backed by action. A goal is an objective that you're working toward or a result you seek. Plans, on the other hand, are the specific daily or weekly efforts you're going to take to get there. A good intention is like an idea that you keep to yourself. If you don't do something with it, it's like it never existed. Now, goals are essential. Those are the things that I'm talking about. Probably most of us have good goals. We have good intentions. But what we're talking about today, and, and Proverbs is, is encouraging us with, but without a plan than simply having a good intention, simply having a, a right desire doesn't lead to make, having us make healthy decisions. And it's important, again, that we understand this because if we want something bad enough, then ultimately we're going to realize that plans I have can get there. And again, hopefully some of you are going to walk away from here today and say, you know what, it's not a problem with what I'm desiring. It's not even a problem with willpower. In fact, I think that part of what happens in here is when you don't make a plan, then all you're doing really is just depending on your willpower in a moment to make a good choice. And if that's what you do, then you're going to have a hard time. 
And that's sort of the double whammy discouragement that I'm talking about because, A, you'll come to the wrong conclusion that I just might not, must not want something bad enough or you'll just come to the conclusion that I'm just not strong enough. I'm just not going to win this battle. And none of those things are true. That God has said to us, create a plan. And we're not going to talk about this today, but there's also so many resources that are available to, available to us that enables us to create plans to be successful. So let's look at what we read in, in Proverbs. First, chapter 21, verse 5. 21, verse 5. Here's what we read. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. You see, Solomon saw that, saw that the goal and desire is not sufficient enough to lead to change. He's saying here that real and lasting change that results in a flourishing life involves a plan. And what he's doing is he's saying the hasty person, as he describes it, and the diligent person both have the same desire, but their pathways to that are completely different, and therefore the outcome of those desires are completely different. He says the hasty person are people who lack the forethought and diligence to create a plan in some cases, or in other cases to follow the plan. They're people who are careless in their actions. They're people who take shortcuts because they're not willing to be diligent and, and continue to do something repeatedly. He says, but the diligent think ahead to the life they want. The diligent understands change is a process that involves a plan. The diligent, according to Solomon, understands it will take hard work to follow the plan. You see, this verse speaks to what is needed to accomplish a plan successfully, and that is, I need to have a good one, and I need to have a commitment to follow it. This science that we might describe skill development of how do people change, how do people develop habits, is, is again one of those things that excites me so much about the Bible, because Solomon is communicating these realities thousands of years ago. And yet listen to some, even today's authors that don't give credit to Solomon, communicate the very same thing that Solomon's communicating. Here's what, it, here's what they say. It says, I began to realize that my results had very little to do with the goals I set and nearly everything to do with the systems I followed. Goals are about the results you want to achieve. Systems are about the processes that lead to those results. You do not rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. And Solomon is, is saying to us, you need a plan. You need a plan. Make a plan. Don't be like the hasty person. Be like the diligent person and have a thoughtful plan and engage in that plan. Now if you're in uh, your Bibles, turn to chapter 24. Chapter 24, and I'm going to read verse 27. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 27. Here's what Solomon says. He says, do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. 
Now, I want to make sure we understand that Solomon is not here suggesting some misguided sequence of priorities. Like he's saying, forget about where you're going to live, just get your field planted. What he's suggesting is that planning demands that you take the next steps, but you do it in the proper sequence with the belief that those steps are going to produce what you ultimately want as the outcome. You see, in the historical context, they would have had some place to live. They would have been living in a tent. And what he's saying is that live in your tent. And if you someday want a house to live into, then make sure that the house is at the end of the sequence, not in the beginning. Be willing to live in the tent for a while. He's suggesting that your plan should include living in a tent Because you believe that doing so will enable you to build up funds so that when you actually do move into the house, you have the resources necessary to enjoy it and your life. He's saying that if your plan is to have a flourishing life in a house someday, then here's what you need to do. You need to be willing to live in a tent and then someday move into a house. You need to build, but first, make sure you're building your means of income so that the life you live in the house is the flourishing life. It reminds me of my father. My father was a financial planner guy. And he spent a lot of time with us boys helping us think through how to handle money. And one of the things I never have forgotten was he talked about, you know, he would say, you know how there are some people who make you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, but when you talk to them, it's like they don't have any money. And you're thinking that you're in the income level over here, and you're wondering, how can that be true? And he says, because what happens is you make $50,000, and then you make financial choices that you can support with $50,000. means you live in a house that uh, $50,000 worth support, and you drive a car that $50,000 worth support, and you create a certain standard of living based on $50,000. And he says, then it goes to $100,000, and guess what you do? What you end up doing is then move into a house that is supported by $100,000, and then you buy a car that's supported by $100,000. And what he would say to us is the margin at fifty dollars seems to be exactly the same at $100,000. And then it's exactly the same at 150. And then it's exactly the same at 200. And what Solomon is saying is, no, think through where you want to be and be willing to make choices and discipline to get there. And what he's saying is, think through not just a plan, but the sequences of choices you need to make in order for you to get where you want to be. This is how today's authors reinforce for us what Solomon is telling us when they write, behind every system of actions are a system of beliefs. The most effective way to change your habits is to focus not only on what you want to achieve, but on who you wish to become. So yes, perseverance, grit, and willpower are essential to success, But the way to improve these qualities is not by wishing you were a more disciplined person, but by creating a more disciplined environment. But the reality is that Solomon is not the person who decided the importance and needs of plans. 
Someone long before Solomon walked the face of this earth was a planner. And that's God. And you can't help but read the Bible and realize that God is a God who has goals and then, spe- then creates very su- specific plans for his goals to be realized. Let me illustrate that in a verse that may be the most famous verse in the Bible, which is John 3.16. Maybe most of you have heard that. Maybe some of you haven't. But we get the goal in the beginning that says, For God so loved the world. God loved the world. And remember, I told you, God loved the world and he wanted them to have a flourishing life. That, was, that was, has always been the design and intent of God. But as he watched and he observed, he realized that sin had come into our lives and, had, and destroyed us and made it impossible for us to fulfill the plan he had for us. So a plan was created. That's at the end of the verse when it says, He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. A plan was created. A plan to take care of the sin problem. And the Godhead decided that at a certain moment in time in human history, a baby would be born and his name would be Jesus. And the plan involved them being born to very specific parents who would make very specific choices for this child as it grew up. And ultimately, Jesus grew up. And the plan was for him to live a perfect life without sin so that he could be the ultimate sacrifice for us. The plan was that he would be a human so he would be able for us to understand that he understood our weaknesses, he understood what it was like to be human, but also as a human, he could pay the price for humanity. And the plan involved his suffering and his death. And we see Jesus in the garden. We read in the Bible, understanding this plan, and he says to the Father, if there's some other way for this to be accomplished other than the plan. Could there be another plan? But then he says, but not my plan. I want your plan. And the plan went forward and Jesus died on the cross. But that wasn't the end of the plan. The plan was that he would pay the price for our sins. The plan was that then he would raise from the dead. And his death would be a declaration to the world that the price has been paid and the payment has been accepted by God. And to illustrate to us that we too can have our sins forgiven and we can enter into a relationship with God and as forgiven people we can begin to work forward and live our lives knowing that I have a God whose plan didn't just simply involve my salvation, But his plan involves everything in my life. That this God of plans has a plan for everybody in this room. And his love, like we sang about, his love is that I have good plans for you. Plans 
Not to harm you, but plans to give you a hope and to give you a future. And God invites us into the plan and says to us, I have a plan. Follow me. And then what Solomon is saying to us is, just like God, we need to have plans. My fear is that some of you have successfully convinced yourself here today that there is no hope. And maybe some of you have failed there's no hope because you never knew that God had a plan. And that the plan has unfolded and the price for your sin has been paid. And today you can experience the fulfillment of that plan by coming to faith in Jesus Christ and having your sins forgiven. And now the ultimate abundant life that God is waving us into because infant becomes infinitely more possible. But God would also say to us, I'm, I'm with you. And rather than you feeling discouraged and alone, may today be the day that says, you know what, I do want good things. I do want good things. But what I've never done is really created a plan. And I would suggest that not only is it important for us to walk away from here and say we need a plan, but to also think about others we can share that plan with. And again, it could be reading the Bible or something like that, but again, it could just be getting up in the morning and doing something productive. It could be the success you want to have academically this semester and what is it you need to do to achieve that and realizing, at least for me, my own willpower and my own ability to follow the plan is extremely limited and so what I have worked hard to do for a large person, a portion of my life recognizing how unsuccessful I am is to involve other people to become involved with me and say, here's my plan. So they're not walking up to me and saying to me things like, how you doing? Good. But they're coming up to me and say, did you get up at such and such a time today? When you got up such and such a time, did you do step one, step two, step three? Because the reality is, life's not determined by what you want, but by the choices that you make. And direction, not intention, determines our destination. And as the legendary, one of my favorite sports figures of all, probably is Coach John Wooden, who had a famous quote where he said, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Let me pray with you. Father, I am very confident that probably seated in this auditorium are people who have arrived here today discouraged. And I pray that first you would communicate to their hearts that you love them, communicate to their hearts that what they want are good things and the fact that they want those things speaks well of them. May their hearts be filled with hope that the problem isn't that they just don't have the uh, strong enough desire to do the right thing things. It's that they've not taken the steps to actually create a plan. 
They've not followed the example that you have set and demonstrated and communicated throughout the Bible that when we find ourselves in all kinds of different situations, here's the steps, here's the plan, here's the strategy to be able to move forward. And if, if they're here today and they, they already have an idea of that, would today they leave here with a hope that they can actually follow the plan and be successful? If they're here today and they, they don't know what to do next or what a plan could be, would you give them the courage to seek somebody out to be helpful? Would you have all of us in a renewed way walk out of this place with renewed hope that the things we really want to see true in our lives can take place? And that we take then the next step to begin to really engage and create plans that enable us to see the growth that you want for us. In Jesus' name, amen.